Welcome to the Bounty Zero X podcast. I'm your host, Angelo Adam, founder and CEO of Bounty Zero X. Bounty Zero X is a decentralized bounty hunting network powered by the BNTY token. Today is September 12th, 2018, and my guest on the show is Kwok Lee, co-founder and managing director of QuantaChain. Uh, QuantaChain is a platform and blockchain, trust wallet, and token model with near real-time financial exchange that matches uh, user experience of a centralized exchange with reference to speed and usability. Kwok, as the co-founder, has a background as an executive at Tango and Jiffy Cat formerly at eBay, PayPal, IBD, and IBM, and distributed systems researcher. He's a CS uh, degree, uh, has received a CS degree from ASU, and is also a patent holder. Kwok, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Angela. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. So we're excited to hear about QuantaChain. It's a very exciting project because it's working on improving the user experience, among other things, for uh, decentralized exchanges. And so... To that end, it's developing a blockchain with some pretty impressive performance statistics and a number of other infrastructure products to help it accomplish its overall goal of improving user experience in the blockchain space. So maybe you can just give me a brief overview of the project uh, based off of you know what we've covered so far. Yeah, that's a great introduction. So, so a little bit background on this. I, I think we all a little bit familiar with DEX and they're generally a little bit slow and um, like the biggest problem with them are access to liquidity. So on one hand, you have centralized exchanges that charging very large fees, which which means listing fees, that uh, that is. And that's hindering a lot of projects from accessing li- liquidity. On the other hand, DEX are operate in silos. So you have Ethereum DEX that you can only trade ERC20. If you have NEO DEX, you can only trade within that. And the next problem is uh, these DEX, they all run on off-chain order book, which means the, the liquidity is even more fragmented because nobody trusts each other to run the order book. So that kind of leads to the technology we're developing, which is to really get that speed. Uh, speed, we need a full flexibility to be able to control and build our own blockchain called QuantaChain. And we're building an on-chain order book uh, that can settle within settle and match order in less than one second and cable handling in the uh, in the millions of transactions. So this is really an ambitious plan, but I think this, well, what we're doing is we're enabling access to liquidity across multiple blockchains and do that completely on-chain and giving access to everyone equally and fairly without any listing fee. So before we get into all of the details about how the platform works and the different components I'd like to always hear a little bit about the team and how you guys, how the idea was conceived and how it got started and how you put the team together. So uh, when did you guys start working on the project? Yeah, so this is a long story, actually. I actually started getting a cryptocurrency early uh, last year as a miner, and I realized it, uh, it was a lot of work, and I started trading, and I realized the experience was pretty bad. And at the time, we were, this is before Binance, and we saw a lot of hacks. And uh, I started digging, like, why is trading happening on centralized database when the whole idea of blockchain is really about uh, us having custody of our own tokens? 
uh, our own coins. But when we do trading, we have to deposit that to a, a centralized party who has our tokens, who has our keys. And I thought this was kind of counterintuitive of what, what the spirit of blockchain is really about. So, so I started kind of learning, reading every paper about the, like the space. And uh, I realized that uh, there, there was no good solutions out there. And I started consulting my friends like at Google and uh, at Netflix who, who have experience with, you know, with distributed experience. So we didn't form the team until early this year, which is still a long time ago. So we, we formed around January and December of early this year. And, uh, you know, I met with Alfonso and Alfonso is also, is my co-founder. He comes from the user experience and design point of view. And we share this kind of uh, user experience problem, both on the technology and the, and the usability side. And we, we start forming a team around this. We brought in a guy from my friend from Netflix. He was, uh, in cloud infrastructure. We brought in Google guys from Google's. We, my experience with PayPal. So I'm pretty familiar with this. Uh, we brought in another guy from ad tech. We brought another guy from, from data. Uh, he was a former data scientist at Pure Storage. So we started forming a pretty great team to really tackle this problem. And how did you and Afonso meet originally? How did you guys meet each other? Well, I think we were both exploring this crypto space. Afonso uh, was, has been doing, uh, been uh, involved with cryptocurrency for a while, many years. And he, he was very active trading uh, early uh, last year. And, and so that's, this kind of where we got connected with our kind of passion in the crypto space toward the end of last year. And, and we both were convinced to uh that we could attack this problem. So is everyone on your team now working full time on it on this project? So we have full time uh four full time members. We have three part time and we're working based out of Santa Clara here. So when you approach the employees or the the hires you and Afonso, what was their reaction and what were their concerns and were they excited about it? And what type of feedback did you get from people when you started sharing your idea with them? I think there was a, an overwhelming of excitement and interest in this space. And uh, as you know, crypto is not really in large companies and large, large companies don't, they don't really want to be associated with, but I think they're, but it's hitting so much traction that people are interested. I, I mean, I can tell you, uh, one of my team member, uh, Sergey, I mean, he, he has a big exit from, you know, well, undisclosed company. Let's say that. Let's say he's doing well, right? So, and, and a lot of the other guys are doing well too. And they're not in it for the money. They're, they're in it for the technology and the curiosity to be able to code something in the blockchain. So that was, that for me was my job. I mean, I've, in terms of what what I have to do to inspire, it's it's not that much work. So you you pitched the idea to them, and they were excited about it, especially about the technical challenge involved with this. Yeah, and to go to a little bit more specific, uh, Min was working on uh, cloud infrastructure, so he worked on uh, Cassandra, right, which is a distributed database, and he built his, his own own distributed database, and uh, it's kind of clicked for us that. Wow, like all this stuff about consensus, like we already have those consensus in distributed system for many, many years. If you're not familiar with Cassandra, it's the database that Facebook uh, built and it was adopted at Netflix and they used widely to store, you know, terabytes of data, completely distributed manner. The only exception is it runs in a permission database, whereas Ethereum and Bitcoin, they run an unpermissioned database, like a open, unpermissioned kind of um, you know, ecosystem. So, so we kind of start seeing these patterns that we've been 
dealing with for a long time. And from my experience, having worked at PayPal, we deal with very similar problems when it comes to uh, security and it comes to settlement and, and et cetera. So Quanta Chain's infrastructure is comprised of a, the blockchain. So it's a dual ledger Byzantine fault tolerance, fault tolerance consensus mechanism. It has, as you alluded to before, a on-chain order book, which is a sub 200 millisecond response time. And then there is the token ledger, which is the account system and the, and the trading system, which manages the trades, which is also on-chain. So you have this dual ledger system. Is that unique? Or is there any other projects that have also a dual? Because that's the first time I've heard of that. Oh, yeah. it's. I think that's our key innovation. If you look at projects like Zero X, they... Bancor and, and Kyber, these, these projects, they concluded that they cannot do on-chain order book. So, so you look at Xerox right on the white paper, it'll say off-chain order book with on-chain settlement. So, I mean, this is just the reality of what the constraint in regards to, to the current technology and infrastructure today. So, so we took a totally different approach on this. So it's like, why don't we build a separate blockchain that the only thing it does well, which is order book matching. So that's your top layer, which processes the order. Once the order that that, get, that does get matched, it flushes out to a secondary blockchain that that actually does the settlement. So by doing that, we can handle, we can reduce the speed, uh, we, we can make the order book much, matching much faster and a much higher throughput. And what is the proof of what is the mechanism for determining the the consensus? The consen- yeah. And so, what is the consensus mechanism? Is it a staking mechanism, a GPU, or what is the? Uh, so, so the staking is uh, Byzantine fault tolerant basis, uh, and I this is probably the best consensus when it comes to scale and speed. And what other blockchains are using this type of Byzantine fault tolerance consensus mechanism? Currently, well, when you look at the coin market cap table, you will see uh, XRP and Stellar being the top player in, in this space. And I think, especially in this market cycle, you're you're starting to see cost as a factor, uh, cost as a factor when it comes to how well the blockchain is performing. You can see Stellar, like, and our XRP well, is you know a li- little bit more stable than the, uh, than other blockchains because it's uh, there's the the cost of running is is very low and stellar has i think like a 5 me- 5 millisecond or 5 second block time yeah correct so 5 second yeah and what is ripple's uh, block time or xrp what is their block time i think it's relatively the same to stellar i i don't know the exact number but uh, we're 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 in the under 1 second time frame so is that a ch- technical challenge to reduce the block Time from five seconds to one seconds. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it actually is. I mean, when in a network environment, there you have to deal with packet loss, delays, and uh, how you actually operate these nodes in a kind of global uh, fashion. It becomes quite challenging. And we do have more optimization on the application level, where we like reduce the number of messages getting passed from node to node on the blockchain uh, because we're doing the order book. There are also very specific things that we could do to optimize the consensus. So, so one of the things we're, we're doing is, is when the message gets passed around, the nodes are, each of the nodes are actually signing this message. So the, like the full 
uh, once the consensus has been reached, you actually have the signature of every node signing off this block. So, so it actually gives you like a further confidence that confidence about the security of the consensus. And can anyone on the network run a node or only certain users allowed to do that? As of now, we run, we run as a consortium basis with partners. In the future, this former consortium is called uh, permissions blockchain. We like to open up to more, uh, to a permissionless blockchain in the future. So this is part of us getting more resources and, and, and fund for this type of development. But I really truly believe that it's a matter of developing a technology for us to get onto a permissionless order book that could be shared in a global manner for every tokens in the world and any user can access that. So tell me a little bit more about the consortium. So it's a closed environment with, do you have a set number of, of nodes that you have in mind? We're set to run about 20 nodes and uh, globally distributed around the world. And it would be completely decentralized within the, the team in terms of who knows the keys and also completely decentralized between our partners. So each node, is it part of the team or is it just a partner or someone who is you know, part of the network? It's a combination of both. It's a consortium of uh, people running this blockchains. Are they required to like stake tokens? Are there any like requirements that they have to meet in order to you know join join that consortium? Yeah, one of the most basic requirement is they are transacting on our blockchain. So that means these consortium members have a stake kind of in the game. Basically, they they have an incentive to keep the blockchain healthy and running well. And so the uh, consortium-based players, the benefit of having that kind of closed system is that is what what are, yeah, I'm assuming it makes the it makes it easier to reduce the block time and to achieve these higher performance uh, statistic metrics. Right. Well, it, it goes both ways. It, it encourages the blockchain uh, the nodes to be run in a healthy way by uh, by a membership model. And uh, it improves the speed because as a consortium, we can dictate certain rules about what kind of network, what kind of performance it should be run under, like whether it should be on eight, eight it has to be run in, say, AWS. Uh, the latency must be within this range so we can maintain the speed and, and scalability of that, of the blockchain. Is it the case that the more nodes you have, the more performance decline there is? And you need to propagate all the information to all the nodes on the network? Right. So there, there is always a trade-off between the number of nodes versus the latency and the speed. Because the more, if you're trying to get consensus across, say, a server in, let's say, in Congo, I don't know, where the network is very bad. It's, you can't wait around for, like, for if half your nodes are, are somewhere in the, the network is bad. And being in a permissionless uh, system, you can't control that unless you, you can't control that. So that's why, you, that's why you're seeing block time in 10 minutes, five minutes, uh, so, so forth to, to kind of accommodate for, for that latency. But when you're running in an enterprise grade level, you really need to be able to control what the network latency is to, uh, to to be able to reduce that latency. And as the number of node, nodes increases, that actually increases the number of messages, increasing increasing the wait time and so forth, and also creating uh, network bottlenecks as well. So let's say uh, let's say you're one node and you're waiting for a thousand server 
to get consensus while well, you're getting a, a thousand message every second. Can you tell me about the difference between the Byzantine fault tolerance and then this variant of Byzantine fault tolerance called the Federated Byzantine Agreement and and how you guys incorporate that into your system architecture? The notion of federated means that you're federating the trust to, you're delegating the trust to an organization. So an example is, uh, let's say uh, we have a partner that runs a DAX and, and they need to be accessed multiple nodes and they have their own, so they run, they would run a set of nodes, but we would delegate our trust on only one of their server, then we would delegate our trust to another server. So, so the real world kind of similarity is like if you trust two exchanges agreeing on a price, then you must trust that uh, your transaction uh, was matched properly and settled properly. So this is a good segue into what the infrastructure is really about. I mean, like what we're building is a uh, is a quanta chain infrastructure that actually enables anyone to build decks on top of, of uh, infrastructure. So anyone can access the API. They can leverage the order book and also uh, leverage the you know, the settlement. We are going to open source our Quanta Dex, which is going to launch toward the end of this year. We're going to open source that, so anyone can just launch their exchange and, and be able to run run that. And as part of running on the Quanta chain, they'll be able to receive transaction part of percentage of that transaction feedback back to their accounts. So basically, what what we're trying to do, so the idea is just more than one exchange. Is the reason why we're focusing on the quanta chain is we're trying to solve liquidity broadly for for different participants. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about that because that's uh, a really interesting use case. So this is in a way similar to other like decentralized exchange protocols like zero X and I think there's maybe a couple others. So basically, anyone can launch a decentralized exchange using the quanta chain protocol, then these different exchanges would be competing against each other on various business or marketing metrics and building a community around that individual exchange. Exactly. And this blockchain can match order under a second and at very high throughput. And the other thing that uh, it's very unique, it's not an island of liquidity. Let's say you're in zero X, you can only trade within a certain set of order books and a certain set of, and, and within Ethereum. And as we're kind of seeing, I mean, not uh, as seeing that Ethereum is going through some, some challenges and there are many, many blockchains are, are coming out and it's, it's very hard to predict what is the state of the world in the future. But so where Quanta Chain is kind of its position is we're positioned as an order book that's connected to every blockchain in the ecosystem. So one of our core technology is the cross-chain wallet or architecture. What it is is really is a decentralized wallet that's that's being managed by the blockchain, and it enables the movement of tokens from another blockchain into the Quanta blockchain. And, and when you move that token, basically we issue you the same amount of token on the quanta chain. Then from the quanta chain, you can, you, you can trade between any assets on any blockchain. There's another interesting component of the cross blockchain component, which you mentioned. So then there's also the crypto ETF component where you can uh, represent a basket of crypto pairs and essentially trade uh, an, an ETF of a basket of, of different uh, currencies. 
So, I mean, there are a lot of really interesting and unique features that you guys are preparing to launch that one. And then. Yeah, uh, exactly. So, uh, so, so trading from one asset to another asset uh, across any, uh, any one of our assets. That's, that's the biggest use case is there. Then once you have a lot of assets, or in other words, liquidity, uh, different tokens, now, 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 now you can create assets. Uh, not, not really us, but developers can act, uh, can, can, can develop, uh, uh, um, uh, more, uh, more like an index fund, right? So, uh, so, so you can, uh, uh, distribute their, their, their risk across different tokens. Let's say you could create, say, the top, uh, top 50, uh, ETF, uh, crypto ETF uh, on a blockchain. Well, you can do that on the quantum blockchain because we'll have access to all those tokens being traded and also deposited uh, 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 onto the quantum blockchain. Yeah, so an ETF, maybe we can just dig into that. because, And then I also want to talk about how you can support this liquidity for pairs that aren't actually traded against each other. So if there are no, no orders for, let's say... One token versus another, uh, another token, you can make these jumps from one token to another to another until you are able to trade against that other token. So that's also something I want to talk about. But before we get to that, let's maybe talk about the ETF and how this works on a technical level. So what exactly is going on when a user, I I guess if, if I am on the decentralized exchange, I can choose, let's say, a basket of cryptocurrencies of like let's say it's top ten cryptocurrencies, and I purchase let's say one ten tokens or or some amount of tokens of that basket. Tell me, explain a little bit more detail what exactly is going on there with respect to the tokens that I'm purchasing and how they are are they then redeemable for. Each of those basket of tokens that makes it up, and explain a little bit how that works and and how that can be achieved in a decentralized manner. It can be done in uh, multiple ways. I think uh, the simplest the simplest approach is, is the parallel between the stock, how it's done in stock. So Yushi is issued as a new asset, and that asset is backed by by what it's advertised to back. Like for example, the top 50. The difference is on a blockchain, you can actually see a developer can develop a new assets as a smart contract. And, and every time, so let's say there's more demand for that ETF crypto assets. That means the smart contract needs to buy more. So, so it has a one to one balance, what's called like a, a net asset value of the assets. So because it's on the quantum chain, it can access to liquidity to, to actually rebalance that asset, right? And being on a blockchain and on a smart contract, anyone can read that smart contract. And so, so you have the full transparency with not only how it works, but what are the a- actual assets it's backed. So in terms of how uh, the interaction from the user point of view is a developer would, would build that smart contract to make that work. And that would be an asset that's accessible on the quantum chain, and you would be able to buy that that I guess proxy crypto ETF on the quantum chain. Okay, so if I'm a user, let's just look at it from the perspective of like an end user who is going to use the platform. So they go and they visit the website, they deposit tokens. So so there's the 
cross-chain wallet and a user would de- deposit their tokens into the cross-chain wallet and then QuantaChain would issue credit tokens uh, into their Quanta wallet. And then once that token is issued on the Quanta wallet, so that, is that how you enable like the cross-chain trading? Can you talk a little bit about that? How like the tokens, a user deposits tokens and then are credited with a new different token. Yeah. So from the user experience, that's exactly how it works. You, we, we would issue an address and you would deposit that and we'll credit you on the blockchain. What's happening underneath is there, the blockchain itself, each of the node on the blockchain has to sign, has to verify that, that the token, the crypto asset has was confirmed on the blockchain, and each of those those nodes would have to reach consensus to be able to issue you those credit, right? And once you have that credit on the blockchain, it's it, it will look like as if it's an ERC twenty twenty a new ERC twenty token, but that's not what we call it. We just call it as a quanta token, and so you have this quanta say Ethereum token on the blockchain. Then with that assets, you can you can trade against any other asset, including the ETF asset that I mentioned earlier. Yeah, so that's like a similar, because I remember like with the the Maker die and a couple, and some of the ZeroX protocol exchanges that I've used, they have like the concept of wrapped ETH, like WETH. Is that is that like a similar type of like framework? And what are the differences between that? It, it's different. So there is a notions of, uh, a wrap ETH, which which I think it's it's kind of silly because you are already on Ethereum, uh, but you have to wrap your Ethereum to be able to trade uh, uh, your Ethereum on an Ethereum platform. <laughs> uh, there is a wrap. I'm not fam- uh, I'm not familiar with any wrap, say BTC on Ethereum platform per se. So in the zero X case, that's just more or less to make the zero uh, X contract work. For us, what's actually happening is, is there is specific logic and code consensus being, uh, logic that's built into the blockchain to make this issuance uh, possible. And, uh, basically it works more or less like an escrow or maybe, uh, another example is like, let's say you go to a casino and you would go to a clerk and you would trade your US dollar and you get, uh, the casino chips. And with the casino chip, you would go trade, uh, play whatever game you want. That doesn't matter. You can, you, you can stay there for two days or, or two hours. Once you're done, you can exchange those, uh, those coins back and you can bring it back as US dollar. So for us, it's the same way. So you can bring it in and you can also get it back out. And, and we guarantee that, that it's done completely in a decentralized manner with any blockchain. So the, there are tokens on the quanta chain that are, the token symbol for the quanta tokens is the, are the QDEX tokens. So the why don't you tell me a little bit about the QDEX token, a little bit about the properties of it, and just a, a quick overview of the token's role on the platform. Yeah, so QDEX is the native to, native tokens of the blockchain. Then then all the tokens, additional tokens that get deposited, will be issued as new tokens. The the QDEX tokens operate in in, in several ways. One is to incentivize uh, running the quanta nodes. So the blockchain would pay it in QDEX to anyone running the nodes. The second one is to incentivize liquidity on the platform. So if the user is uh, trading, we would be giving a little bit of rebate to the user doing tra- uh, making trades on the platform. 
And the third one is it's used to um, to build an ecosystem fund. So so we would use the QDEX to fund projects that improve the ecosystem. For example, a Quanta wallet, for example, a Chrome wallet, for example, uh, building apps, building dApps, uh, building uh, SDK, and it also ranges to marketing uh, as well. And the remaining tokens are distributed to to raise f- funds to build the technology and also to uh, and a small piece to the team. So the QDEX tokens for paying gas fees. And so is the concept of gas on the Quanta chain similar uh, to the concept of, quant- concept of gas on the Ethereum network? So basically whenever a transaction is, is written to the blockchain. Yes. So it's similar and it's also different. So similar in, in the fact that you would need to pay some and, and typically this has to happen because you, you want to, you want to build a blockchain that, um, that kind of take the incentive away from user spamming the blockchain. So if it, if they start spamming millions of token, uh, millions of transactions, it becomes less economical no matter what the fee is. Where is different is the fee because we're BFT based. The fee is almost zero. So, so we would be charging in the six, six decimal place of what a QDEX uh, normally would cost. So the QDEX is used for both of the, both of the blockchains, the order book and also the, the transaction record. Yes. It's only paid uh, once for each transaction. So it, does it cost to place an order? Uh, yes, it does. A very minimal, like I said, it, it, it's in the six decimal. What a QDEX is. So the fees will be very, very low. Which so would, would you think would this in theory support like high frequency trading or any type of like high volume type of latency, low latency trading? Because the goal is you know sub two hundred fifty millisecond order book and then sub second transaction time. Is that enough for? I mean, I know it's not enough for like. You know, extremely high high performance trading on stock markets, but compared to centralized crypto exchanges, how does it compare? This definitely takes uh, Dex to the next level. I mean, today Dex uh, runs at fourteen seconds block time, and, and uh, around around that, you know, if you're on Neo, it's twenty one second block time. So moving down to one second, it actually opens a lot of opportunity for to 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 be able to create liquidity. And I think liquidity generally is good for the user be able to get access or to liquidate. We talked to several hedge funds, uh, crypto hedge funds, and uh, OTC, and also traders in general that they're they're fairly excited about this new kind of Dex where they're not able to do today. Uh, they're able to do things that they're not able to do today. So latency, right? Latency is always kind of discourages uh, traders to come in because in that 15 seconds, if you cannot cancel your order or you cannot replace your order and, and something changes in the market, uh, there's a lot of things that could go wrong from uh, from a trader perspective. So where do you see the overall exchange ecosystem heading in the next few years? So we currently have, you know, some, a few large centralized exchanges that have a significant amount of trading volume. And those exchanges uh, compete against one another on the basis of decreased fees. 
that they charge their users. And many of them have been incorporating a token model, which rewards users in a variety of ways, either by reduced fees or, or some other mechanisms. And by, and they competing amongst each other on the base, on that basis of reduced fees and also on liquidity on, you know, the exchanges with the most liquidity and the best tokens are the most successful. And so that has created this arms race of which exchanges have the most volume, whether that's legitimate volume or not. And then alongside that tokens, the other side of the equation that the companies who issue tokens and are listed on the exchanges are seeking to increase the liquidity of their own tokens, either through market making or other uh, mechanisms to increase interest in marketing. So you have like these two sides of the equation from the, the coin side and then from the exchange side. So then separate alongside all of that, you have the a component of the decentralized exchanges. So maybe you can talk a little bit about uh, where you see, how you see this picture uh, going forward. Yes, that's a very good question. I, I hope I can uh, address all those points. So on the centralized space, I think we're seeing that there's a lot of synthetic trades that happen, uh, synthetic uh, market making uh, happening on the ecosystem. We do know that a lot of this market maker is a requirement as a centralized exchange and it kind of benefits, it, it hurts the token, like the token projects because they have to put the funds out and it's generally not very beneficial. I, I think generally market making should be done more of a natural process than just a requirement of a listing fees. And not only, on top of that, they're charging in the five to 15 million fees for, for, uh, for the high quality one. You probably saw Vitalik's quote uh, where he says uh, centralized exchange should go to hell because they're putting all these crazy rules, right? So, so I think centralized exchange are, uh, so it's catching up to them. I mean, as you're seeing where we're in a market bear and uh, really the only liquidity is happening through bots. And that's what kind of driving these central exchanges to to keep innovating because they're 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 struggling. On the other hand, the long term game is it has to be on decentralized, and, and and the only thing that's that kind of stops it is technology, technology that can bring the speeds and the scale to where we can have a proper exchange market completely on a blockchain. And I think in the future, access to a token getting access to be to be able to trade it is going to open more and more. You could imagine crypto asset could be a sub asset that belongs to a game, and a game could have thousands of assets, and and that can completely be done on a blockchain where because the cost is so cheap that you can enable all these use cases. And not only that, I think uh, one of the challenges today is is there aren't enough financial products available. Like today, you only see long, but you don't really see short, be able to short, or you you don't see kind of options. I mean, there are options like uh, like BitMEX, but not widely available. So I think that's that's a, another huge opportunity where the trader have access to shorts, shorts or options that can actually um, temper the market so it's, it doesn't get so bullish. So there's always good uh, to having both sides on the trading so that it actually kind of calms the market a little bit better. The margin trading is one, also another one of those benefits of the centralized exchanges. With margin trading, you can leverage and then you can also short. But 
With decentralized exchanges, that's been one of the other limitations is that, you know, with a decentralized exchange, there is one that I know of, uh, BZX, uh, formerly B0X, and they're in the process of developing a protocol that runs on the decentralized exchanges, which facilitates a margin trading and shorting type of uh, functionality, which... I think that's where the, 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 the industry is going, it, it is for more transparency. I think uh, one of the concerns many people people raise with uh, centralized exchanges is the custody of funds and, and where, how is the margin being done, being operated. So there's not a lot of, it, it's, it's hard, you know, you don't get on a decentralized blockchain, you get full uh, visibility and full transparency of how that margin is being funded. So are these financial instruments part of your roadmap uh, and how are you guys going to incorporate this type of function this type of financial instruments into your is this uh, f- some of the features that you guys will be able to support and how will this be like something external how will this be incorporated into your guys's roadmap so the most fundamental feature we're building right now is field trade from one asset to another and as i mentioned earlier there, there could be different asset types, and those asset types could be uh, different financial product represented as different assets. So it's just a matter of us supporting on the roadmap. Yeah, because I think that's a probably a pretty complex task. To, because I know you know BZX has been working on it, and then you know in itself, what you guys are working on is is uh, a lot of work and to incorporate the some of these other components like the leverage and the margin and uh, options adds just a whole nother layer of complexity to an already pretty difficult and challenging process. So, I mean, from what I see, I, how far off do you think we are from in terms of years? Are we like three years, five years, 10 years? What do you think we are in time timeline? So where we are is uh, we're tasked to uh, launch a small beta net in the upcoming weeks that supports uh, purely settlement. Then toward the end of the year, we're going to deploy, launch the order book the cross-chain, and the Quantadex. So that's the big milestone where where the user can exchange, move tokens into the cross-chain, trade that on-chain. Then we would be improving the blockchain to it in the next coming months for stability, supporting more blockchain to uh, to trade. And then we'll incorporate, incorporating more financial products toward the end of uh, next year. And, uh, and so forth. So will you immediately have like ERC20 or Ethereum blockchain support? And do you have a, like a certain number of blockchains that you'll immediately support like Stellar, Ripple? and? Yeah, we'll be basically going down the list of the, the list by market caps. So I want to move over. Uh, so we're running out of time and I want to be respectful of your time and cover a couple more things before we end. Uh, so we have the... Quantadex token voting system, which is live now. So users can go on to the Quantadex website and vote for tokens that they'd like to see listed on the exchange. So there's like over 500 or something tokens there. But that's just for community members to express interest because with the DEX, anyone can list any token and without any listing fees. So the days of having to... Uh, pay a centralized exchange large sums of money to get listed and presumably would no longer be required. So on the quanta network, do tokens need to pay in order to be 
available for trading or is anyone able to add any token for free? So the Quantadex will initially support Ethereum ERC-20 based tokens. So we haven't finalized exactly how we create that user experience in terms of how to access different tokens. But yes, the idea is at the most fundamental level is the block, the quanta chain will be able to give you access to any token without any listing fee. And if there's another DEX that builds on, on top of quanta chain and decides to charge a fee, maybe charge a fee, that's really up to that project. I mean, we're just the infrastructure that enables them to build the DEX. I mean, a DEX could argue, can arguably be building a member base, like a private permission base, based token. Uh, other ones could be like, be building like the Robin Hood of, of DEX on, on the quanta chain. That's all those options are open. So, uh, Quok, we're looking forward to the launch of the platform and I uh, think it's a really exciting project you're working on that's extremely prescient in the current atmosphere in the blockchain space. You know, it's a extremely useful product and something that is in dire need to be developed. And so we wish you the best of luck and are excited to see the uh, results of your hard work that will be happening in the next months. So you guys are launching at the end of the year, the cost chain wallet and the DEX. So if users and listeners who are listening to the podcast want to learn more about QuantaChain, how can they hear more and learn more about you and where can they follow you? Yes, we're very excited about um, our upcoming uh, milestones. So please do get uh, um, follow updates from our team. Uh, of, I would start with uh, quantachain.io. From there, you can get access to our Telegram links and uh, Twitter links and Facebook and Medium posts. Highly encourage you to join our Telegram channel. It's very active. Uh, we have over 10,000 people there. And uh, uh, Twitter is saying we, we have quite a lot of users. Great. My guest on the show today has been Kwok Lee, co-founder and managing director of QuantaChain. Thank you for coming on the Bounty CRX podcast. It's a pleasure having you. And we are looking forward to hearing more about your project in the future. Thank you, Angelo. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Bounty Zero X podcast. Please remember to subscribe to our podcast below. Check out BountyZeroX.io, the number one bounty hunting platform where you can complete work and earn cryptocurrency. Please consult your professional financial investment and tax advisors before making any investment in initial coin offerings. Bounty Zero X does not provide investment or financial advice and does not endorse or recommend investment in any ICOs advertised on the Bounty Zero X podcast or website.